continue to plead in your hearing, verses 5 and 6, and then I'll say a short word of prayer. Um, Grace to you and peace from him who is, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So let me say a word of prayer and I'll preach the word uh, this morning. Let us pray. Oh, blessed God, we pray that you would be with us by your Holy Spirit so that we would indeed uh, read aloud the words of this prophecy, uh, we'll hear them and we'll speak them. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would be um, preserving and keeping your church through uh, the preaching of the word today. And so give me uh, grace and strength, God, I pray, Lord, and uh, to, to, to speak as though uh, I know that this, these are not um, just supernatural and spiritual things and not earthly things. And not worldly things. This is the word of God, which is true and pure. So, oh Lord, speak to us and cleanse us by your word. We, we plead with you, O oh Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, this morning I'm preaching the last in the series that we begun a few weeks ago. Uh, I called the series Sub, um, Called in Christ and looking at some of the, the ways, the names titles, if you want, by which believers are, are recognized or called in the scripture. And, and I suggested over the past few weeks that these, these titles, these names, um, help us define our vocation, our calling, what it means to be a Christian, and maybe even more than our calling, our identity. A Christian is not just, um, it's, it's who you are as a Christian, as trying to, I mean, dealing almost with mission drift, the sense that even Christians can forget just who they are and what how they're meant to live. We can become confused about that. And our only hope is to run back to the scriptures and to, uh, to uh, gain a clarity. And to also recognize that this is who we are. This is who Christ has made us. So that if you are not this, if this is not who you are, um, you are you're none of his almost. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not any of those things that we mentioned. There's Christians who are not living up to their name. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. And so we've looked at, uh, of course, we could look at, and we could look at dozens of titles. But we've, we've seen that we're called disciples and that we're called uh, witnesses and that we're called friends. And uh, this morning, I, I round up with um, another, uh, uh, another title that Christians are, are called in the, in the New Testament. Um, this time, in verse 5 and 6, we, we see that Jesus Christ has made us um, a kingdom priests to his God. Now, some, um, some translations uh, and call, call it that we're, we're called kings and priests. And that's probably easier to, uh, maybe, maybe easier for us to, to understand than uh, what Jesus Christ is calling us. He's calling us kings and priests. Peter would say, in 1 Peter 2, he would say he calls us a royal priesthood. Um, and um, so, yeah, we were called kings and priests. And that's who Christians are. We actually, if you're a believer, you're a king, you're a queen as well. Um, I think the point is, is, to say, is to say that we are royalty, so yes, queen will be acceptable. To say Jesus Christ makes you queens and priests, women of course, that's, that's fine, right? So this is not exclusive to men in the slightest. 
for God's people, the royalty, your kingdom, your king, your priest, your rule. Um, now, very often when I was, I've said in the introduction to these sermons in the past few weeks, that um, I don't know how often, you know, Christians apply these titles to themselves. For example, as I, I was saying, that I don't know how often, Christ, how, how confident you would feel going to a church. Maybe some of you might be, but maybe I, I imagine a lot of you who have been church would find it strange to go to a church that label itself according to those names. So uh, most of you probably wouldn't even go into a church that called themselves the witnesses. And to some degree I understand, but let's just say it was a sound church that called themselves the witnesses. You wouldn't even be able to find out because you're just like, witnesses? Um, that, that gives me the creeps. But of course it shouldn't. It's what, what we are. Maybe the same thing. I can imagine if I went to a church today and they said, oh, we had a, uh, come to my church, we go to the royal priesthood. Even though it's in First Peter 2, you know, I would still be like, you're giving me some black Hebrew vibes here. Like royal priesthood, I don't know. It's sounding like you're going to be sacrificing lambs and all that good stuff. I'm not, I'm not on it. But, of course, we are priests and definitely kings. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing there. Kings, who is that? But it's what the Bible calls us, kings and priests, right? It's that, that would be consistent with biblical truth. Um, now, that being said, even though I say that, what you do have, of course, is you've had some prominent misuses of those terms. Um, I think, well, one of them is a misuse at least. The other is something just more prevalent, right? Today, folks very often call themselves kings and queens, at least in certain communities. It's, 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 it's strange the extent to which there's been a recovery of that. I don't know how many guys go around calling themselves, you know, what, how are you doing, king? Maybe you might do so for your friends. I know women do that a whole lot, right? You know, slave, black queen, and all that good stuff. Um, and you're, call, you know, calling yourself a queen. Oh, she's such a queen, such a queen, such a queen. More greasy at elbow. I see where you're coming from. Um, and I find it interesting that there is a desire to reckon with, with a certain kind of royalty. I wonder if that's a, I, I wonder today if that was a, um, if that was something that was innate to our, our, our human spirituality. There's a sense in which we, we feel the need to be in dominion as opposed to be dominated. It would make sense if part of what it means to be made in the image of God is to have this sense that you're meant to dominate. A human being is just not like any other creature. And so uh, there's a, a deep desire to recover um, dominion. I'll, I'll say more about that later. But in the church, closer to home, there's an even more, well, certainly a more problematic way in which this is considered, right? I don't know, you, you might not be familiar with this. There is a branch of teaching in the church that was referred to as kingdom theology, right? Kingdom theology. And, and the sense was that, one, that there was the kingdom of the world. You know, there's, a, there's such a thing like the secular kingdom, the kingdoms of these world, like England and France and all the nations of the world. And then there's the kingdom of the church. The Christian is someone who has been translated from the kingdom of the world. And not necessarily that you no longer belong to the kingdom of this world. You might still be from France or England or Nigeria or whatever. You still belong to those kingdoms, but you're now part of a greater kingdom. Now, now to this point, this is all true. You're, you're part, of, well, to some extent. You're part of this kingdom of heaven now. You're a kingdom citizen. And so you live in this world according to different principles and uh, different almost rights and a different authority. Now, up to this point, we can say almost an amen to that, right? We can, we can agree with much of that. But then what happens is the problem comes in when you're defining what it means to have different principles that you live by. What does it mean to live by a, this different authority, right? What does it mean to now be a king in the sense of this, 
um, this, this, uh, this kingdom citizen. And it, it is used, I don't know how much it's still used. I'm not so much in those circles anymore. But I've seen how much that can be abused. And folks will say, you know, I'm a kingdom citizen. And so, you know, I can never be sick. I have so much authority. What's sickness to me? I'm a kingdom citizen. Here's this person sniffing and, and they, they, they say, I'm a, kingdom, I'm a kingdom citizen. Or they see someone else sick and they say, how can you be sick? Don't you know you take authority? Um, I remember hearing of like um, gospel artists, gospel musicians who used to say, you'd invite them to, do, to perform at your event and they would say, I'm a kingdom citizen, so I'm flying first class. I'm a kingdom citizen, so it's a five-star hotel. This is real life stuff, right? Abusing what... It means when the Bible calls us a king. It was, it was taking the scriptures and, and using them to, um, to satisfy one's own greed and, and pride. And that's a more problematic way of, of using that term, uh, a king, king, of, a king or, or royal term. I have to admit, the, the, the song we just sang, Majesty, Worship His Majesty, probably belongs to folks who subscribe to a certain kingdom theology. But you see where the line that says, kingdom authority flows from his throne unto his own. That's, 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 that's kingdom theology thought, thought. Now, it's true. That's why we can sing it. Kingdom authority does flow from his throne unto his own. But what is kingdom authority? What does that mean? And, you know, that's, that's been abused by so many folks. And um, we want to stay clear of that. But once we've thrown out the, the, the bathwater, definitely not going to throw out the baby, right? Because... The Bible itself says Jesus Christ has made us kings and priests. So I'm going to close this series, and I think it's a good uh, close to it, by saying, you know, this is a kingdom of priests, a king and priests. I'm not telling you to be, I'm telling you you are, and I'm, not, I'm saying you shouldn't be here if you're not, or you're, you, at least belonging to the church. You don't belong to the church if you're not, right? No, you can be here if you're not. We want you to become one. But... You don't belong to the church. You don't belong to Jesus. If you're, he makes his own. You, you see that those verses there? Verse 5 and 6 um, of Revelation 1. He loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Verse 6, he makes, he makes us that. What he does for his people. Everyone who belongs to Jesus is a king and priest. Well, let's look at this then. What does it mean? Right? Those are, those are, those, that, that's really what we're going to do tonight, uh, this, this, this morning, afternoon. Okay, what, is, what do those terms mean for us? Because, you know, I've just said we have to avoid certain misconceptions. What they do not mean. When, when we've done that, what does it mean for us? And then what's the implication? What function uh, does, it, does it call us to then? The kings and priests. First thing I want to say as we come to do that then is to, to, to remind us that this is, we are kings and priests because Jesus Christ is the king. Right? This is about Jesus. It's about him. It's because we are, to use biblical terminology, in union. We're in Christ. So if everything that comes, that Jesus has, he, he gives to his own. So if you're in Christ, if you believe in him, if you entrust yourself to him, if you're in him, everything that he is, is yours. And Jesus Christ is a king and priest. Right? So... It's to him who loves us and freed us to him. This is about him. You know, this, this, this section that I'm just reading from, verse 5 and 6, is, what, is, is a doxology. What you call it, a doxology, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a, this outburst of praise and adoration and the attributing of honor to someone who is great. 
So when John is telling us we are kings and priests, the primary thing he say, the primary thing he's saying is that we are the ones who make much of another. It's about so we bring glory to the king and the priest. We bring glory to the king and the priest. Jesus Christ is the king and priest. So we look to him. And, and when the Bible says Jesus Christ is the king in this context, I guess God is a king. I, I opened by reading a psalm that speaks about God's reign and the earth trembling at his reign. So Jesus Christ, as, the, as very God, before the foundation of the world, is a king. But that's not the precise sense in which the book of Revelation calls him a king, or in which the Bible calls him a priest. Any priest is even more, is easier to understand. It's as Messiah, that is, as the Redeemer, that is, as the one who comes to save. So, so by implication, part of the reason why Jesus Christ has to take up this kingship and this priesthood is because we need a king and a priest. It's because the only way that God could rectify the mess we had made, the only way God could redeem us from our bondage to sin and bring glory to himself was if his son, who he sent into the world, became a king and became a priest. And Jesus Christ is a king and priest. And you know what? The, John tells us in that passage how Jesus Christ is a king and priest. And this, is, this is why there's no excuse for the, uh, miscon for, for the miscommunication of this truth. There's no uh, excuse for taking this language of king and using it to abuse authority or taking this language of priest and using it like Roman Catholicism has done to make it seem that there's a man who can help you get closer to God. Because there's the, what, what it means for Christ to be king and priest is clearly explained in Revelation. Revelation says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, which is a likely a reference to the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, you know, by faithful witness there, there's a, it's, it's referring to how Jesus Christ was faithful to the end, even enduring death. If you read the rest of the book of Revelations, the witness is a person who stands in the face of persecution and stands faithful. I, I think I was saying it when I preached on, the, on us being called witnesses, that the, the, the Greek word for witness means a martyr, or, or can be translated as, as a martyr in our English, in our English. It doesn't always refer to that, but, but it, has, it has implications that this person stands fast for a truth, even to the point of death, and Jesus Christ is the martyr, he's the faithful witness par excellence. He's the faithful witness, so his death is what makes him a priest. The firstborn of the dead. What's that referring to? The firstborn of the dead is referring to his Come on, speak up, speak up. Uh, exactly. He's the firstborn from the dead. He came back from the grave. Um, and the ruler of kings and earth, he's ascended into heaven. Jesus Christ died and rose again. This is why he's king and priest. He's priest because he laid his life down. He's the faithful witness. And he's king because he rose again. And so we are made kings and priests according to that. Not according to the world. In the world, a king might be a, something totally different. In the, in the world, the priest might be totally, totally different. But in the kingdom, the king and priest is the one who is making much of the crucified and risen king. So we are kings and priests because Jesus Christ is the king and priest and because we are in him. And so... 
you might say then, and this is interesting thing to say, that, that to be a king in this passage, in Revelation, to be kings and priests is also primarily to be a servant. Because it's all about making much about another person. If you read the book of Revelation, you know what you find the saints? You find them as servants, worshippers. Even worship, worship is a service. They're servants, they're serving. So when we call ourselves kings and priests, and we should, we are, the primary idea in our minds is that all of us, when I call myself a king and priest, all I'm saying is all of my life now is about making much of another. I, I just live to bring glory to another. I, 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 I live to point to someone else. I'm a servant. You know what that, you know what that doesn't come with? Pride. Doesn't come with pride. That's how you know that the folks who call themselves kings and all it did was lead them to be boastful and prideful, they don't have the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not the Holy Spirit that teaches you that way. If the Holy Spirit is revealing deeper and deeper to you that you are a king and priest of Jesus, you know what it makes you more of? A servant and humble. Humble. And I've seen this with my two eyes. I've seen folks strut in to a, a service because they, they're the anointed ones in that service. They're the kings. I've seen folks walking with armor bearer to the right and bodyguard to the left and strut in just, just so impressed by themselves. In the church, where you're, if, you're the, if you're a pastor or a preacher, you're maybe the biggest slave. That's why it's a terrible thing. I, I grew up going to churches where preachers would preach and duck out. You see, you got, you see now I go, I go and stand at that door after this, right? If from next week, when I finish preaching, while the hymn was going out, I just disappeared, and one of, my, one of the deacons came and led you in prayer, because Kendi has gone to the holy place, you know what that's going to make of me, right? You, you see, all, all of a sudden, you're going to see me as, oh, right, the mystery, this guy is unique, this guy has some special access to God that the rest of us don't have. I don't know where that happens. It doesn't happen in the church, though. Humility. And not just preachers, even us as Christians. Are we increasing in humility? If you're not increasing in humility, it's because you're not increasing in your awareness of who you are as a child of the Lord. You're, you're just a servant. A servant. Notice another reason why this is the case, why humility is bound to be the case. He made us a kingdom. Verse five, 6 says, he made us kings and priests. We didn't do anything to deserve this. We didn't earn this. Jesus Christ didn't look at us and say, you're kingly in the way you walk, you know, or you, you, you strike me as a queen, the amount of things you've accomplished. In fact, Jesus Christ is prone to pick those who don't have anything royal or kingly about them and to make them kings and priests. He made us kings. What are we boasting in? Friends, pride is, is often that evidence that we are placing our confidence in foolish things. That's why in the Bible, the prideful folks are the ones who are boasting in chariots and horses and not in the Lord. And some of us, our pride is not shown simply in the fact that we look down on people. That's one sense of pride. Some of us, our pride is shown in the, in the, in the, in the fervency with which we are pursuing the, 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 the pursuing stuff the fervency in which we want to gain more and gain more so we can give ourselves a sense of pride. Some of us, the greatest demonstration that we are wrapped, we're, we're, we're cloaked in pride, we're in the bondage of pride, is the pursuit of the pride of life. We cloak it in the right thing. So, shh, shh, 
I'm just going to call it financial stability. I'm just going to call it entrepreneurship. I'm just going to call it intentional parenting. But really and truly, I'm not saying all those things, any of those things are necessarily wrong. But I'm saying make sure that it's not your cloak for your pride. You, you, you just, you, you feel like the only way you, that, that you can have value is to place value in all these things. The Christian is someone that increasingly says, Jesus is my boast, my pride. That's why the Bible says it's a difficult thing for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So when, I call, when we call ourselves kings, and we ought to, when we call ourselves priests, and we must, the first thing that should characterize us is humility. So people say, this is a king like no other. You see why it's not in, a, in, in the, the way we call people kings and queens in the world cannot be what Christ is talking about here. Because it, who do you call queen in the world? It's the person who's uh, just broke barriers. Or what a queen, you say. I'm not saying that's bad. But that can't be the definition that Christ is talking about here. Humility is what characterizes us. But he made us. He made us kings. He made us priests. You know what that means? We were not kings and priests. We, we were far from kings. And this is where, let me be, let, let me bring this into stark contrast by comparing it with this current way in which we, people are referring to each other. And you say, that's my, only queen is the one I see the most. So the black queen, what a black queen. But you know, to be a queen in the kingdom, you have to have this sense that you're not a queen. To be a king in the kingdom of God, you have to have this conviction that you're, you're, not, you're not actually a king. He needs to make me. He made us kings. And how did he make us kings? He freed us from our sins by his blood. Because there's no boasting in your kingship or queenship when you're under the dominion of sin. You can call yourself a king or queen. But what kind of king or queen are you? You're the kind of king or queen who's looking out from your palace window and you're so impressed by your kingdom that you don't realize the earthquake is coming that is going to shatter everything. Your foundations are low. Your foundations are undone. You, you're the master, apart from Jesus Christ, you're the master of a crumbled kingdom. Is that a kingship to boast in? Isn't it foolish to call yourself a queen like in that sense and to, to put all your boast in it when eventually you're going to end up ruined. And so in that sense, I actually, I appreciate folks calling themselves kings and queens because I, I see this, this, this harping for genuine dominion. But I, what I want to say to all my kings and queens this morning, don't you realize that outside Jesus Christ, your kingdom is a crumbling kingdom. Doesn't matter what kings you are. You could be Martin Luther King. When all is said and done, it's a crumbling kingdom. Right? The kingship that counts is the one that comes from him making us. He made me a king. He made me a king. He made me a queen. Because I couldn't be a king in myself. Because all those things I did in my own strength ultimately were nothing. That's what makes us kings and queens. It's by his grace. By his grace. We must, we must be... We must be um, clear about that. Well, I've spoken negatively then about what it is to be a king and priest. I've spoken quite, let me speak positively. Because Jesus Christ is not just 
saying this to tell us what we are not. He's also saying this to tell us what we are. Me and you are now kings. We've forsaken the kingdom of this world. And our boast, my brothers and sisters, we forsake our boast in this world, right? Right? I'm not saying you don't. I've spoken to people here. I know some of you are remarkable people. You do stuff. That's king stuff. That's queen stuff. I, I get it. I, I see some of you master and dominate this earth in ways. I say, that's kingly. I understand it. But you better throw those, throw that crown away to receive the crown that never fades. You see what I'm saying? You, you throw this corruptible stuff to receive the incorruptible. Do you understand what I mean? We're kings. But what does it mean then positively? Just like you, in, you, just like you think, kingship does imply wealth. That's one thing. Jesus Christ is saying you do have wealth. You do have glory. You do have honor. What Christ is saying. He's saying, do you know I've given you. You, you know what the king is in, any, in, any, in the average context. The king is the highest, highest position. If I told you. If, I, if I, I gave you a, a chessboard and I told you all the name of the pieces, you would say, if I said, what was the, what's the most important piece? What's the most powerful piece? You'd say the king. Right? King usually means the highest. Right? And, and, and that's the implication in that word as well. John is saying, do you know how much you have to be thankful for? Because God has placed you in the highest position. The highest privilege. There's joy. That's why it's very important that the gathering of God's people be characterized by joy. Because when we come here, we are reminded we're in the highest privilege. You might not be the highest in your workplace. You might not be the highest in your career. You might not be highest in, you know, in, some, in, in, your, in your social circle. You might not be at the high point you want to be. You might not be at the highest point in your health. But you are at the highest point in the kingdom. That's higher than any other. But it's not in physical wealth. In that sense. In this present world, it's not necessarily in physical. We don't have the highest in physical wealth. When we get to glory, we'll have everything that we, we would lack for nothing. But in this world, and if you read the book, I'm not just making this up. Read the book of Revelation. The folks who are called kings and priests are folks who are in the midst of tribulation. They're in the minority. The world doesn't like them. They're dying. Right? They're being killed. But they are the kings. And they are the priests because they are in Christ and because in Christ they have everything they need. And because outside of Christ the wealth is fleeting and is passing away. And the wealth does not save. It flees in the day of trouble. But they have true wealth. And true wealth is to have Jesus Christ and to know he's my savior and to have the Holy Spirit and to know that I have an assurance that I will receive my inheritance in glory. That is true wealth. Wealth that does not corrupt. I hear people say all the time, true health is wealth. No, it's not true. True wealth is not health. Because there's no amount of health that you have in this life that can deal with your sin. No amount of health you have. And you know, this is a wonderful fact because people are doing it so much. People are eating right and drinking right and work. And this is the good things to try and make themselves whole. But they're not whole. It doesn't work that way. Of course it makes you feel good. I'm not denying that. But the, since when did feelings become the, the final arbiter of whether you are good, whether you are well? How good does it matter if you feel great, but your 
your home is crumbling. It doesn't matter. That's what people like. They feel great. You feel good in yourself. But there's so much around you that's falling, falling apart. True wealth is to know him. Nothing can kick. There's, not, there's no bankruptcy in Christ. He's, he's full. He's abundant. And so we're kings because we truly believe that we have everything we need in Jesus. He's our glory. He's our honor. That's true wealth. So wealth is what it means. We, we have to walk with a sense that we are, we have everything we need. Isn't that why Jesus Christ says, don't be anxious for anything? Then authority. When you think about kingship, you think of authority, right? And so yes, those folks that say, I'm walking in authority, they had a point. Christians are to walk in authority, but not the way they was doing it. You know, people were saying, I'm walking in authority, and they're strolling their ball, and they're looking, looking down on you and saying, that's not, not, not like that. That's not the authority. Not the authority. It's the authority of a servant, first of all. But, 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 but we do have authority. We are, to, we are to function as those who have authority. The authority, to, the authority of the church. You know, as, as, as I was thinking about the book of Revelations and just reading it, and I said this in the opening of the service, I realized how much Revelation is talking about the church, the gathered church, the people of God, the local church. And he's saying, we have authority here. Authority to declare what is true and what is false. The authority to tell folks, this is the on only way to be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which they must be saved. Friends, I know people who have so much, I, I know there's people that have so much authority in this life. The authority to, 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 to let you, to, to, to decide if you get into a country or not. The authority to decide if you get into an event or not. But, but, but this is authority that decides, that, that tells you where you will spend your eternity. That's authority. And, and Jesus Christ wants his people to walk in his authority. The authority to proclaim the gospel to all. The authority to explain to folks, this is the only way to come into the kingdom of God. And then the authority to rule its affairs as a church. We have the authority to say, you can't belong to the church if you live this way. We have the authority to say, you can't become part of the church if you won't repent from this. That's authority, right? When the Bible says, whatever you bind on heaven is bound on earth is bound in heaven. You know what Jesus Christ is saying? Jesus Christ is saying, if a church wielding the authority of the spirit say to this person, we, we withhold forgiveness from you, then God is not going to forgive that person either. You see the sense? That's serious authority. The very authority of God. Yes, we have authority as a function. And then, and, and related to this as well, overcomer. Very often in, in ancient times, the king was someone who went to war. <laughs> I know sometimes, you know, we only, sometimes we only ever see kings and queens that just go on, on, on tour and trips, visiting every safari and visiting. That's okay. But the kings in the old times also had to war. They had to go and lead their people to war and march. And, and in, the, in the book of Revelation, Christians are painted as overcomers. Because one day it's true, we will enter into the fullness of Christ's reign when he has put all his enemies under his feet. But at this point, at this time in eternity, we war. We war. We have to war. But once you become a Christian, you enter into this spiritual warfare. But the Bible says you're a king. And because you're a king, you're going to overcome. You will overcome. And you know, that's what it means to be a king as well, is to be a victor, to have victory in Christ, to have victory over sin.
over the world, over Satan, over death. You know, friends, we're meant to, we're meant to experience victory. We're meant to know dominion over sin. You're meant to look at your sin and see how it imprisons, how it controls, and say, sin will not have dominion over me. I don't have to give in. I can feel differently about this. I can say no. I don't want to serve my sin. We're meant to walk in dominion. Absolutely. Dominion over the world. We can say, I'm not going to become like the world. I'm not going to allow the, 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 the world's propaganda and its agenda to control me. I'm a king. I'm a queen. I'm God's child. I don't have to follow and be like the world. We can say, I'm a king. I'm a I, I, I can resist Satan. Satan can't trick me. He can't make me blind to his devices and his methods. I can see Satan, and I'm not going to allow him. The Bible says, you resist him. Well, that, that's what it means to be a king, to have that dominion the church has. And to overcome death, you know, it, it means that we, we boast in the face of death and say, where is your sin? And ask the grave, where is your victory? Jesus Christ has promised me a new body. We are kings and queens in that regard. That's the only king, kingship and queenship that matters. Some of you, Maybe your actual queens, as in there's potential that you're going to be some king somewhere in some village somewhere, or some, at some point you're going to be a queen. If that's the case, let's talk about it. Let's talk about after, after service. But some of you, that, that's true. You actually have true royalty. Others of you, others of you your kingship in, is metaphor, right? That's either way. The only kingship that matters is this one. Right? That's the kingship. That, the only being a queen that matters is this one. Guys, I had a bar. I'm going to drop it quickly. Forgive me. I said, it's not so much. It's, it doesn't matter if you're a Nubian, Nubian king. What matters is that you're a Nubian. You like it? No? No? <laughs> you know, I said to myself, I have to, try, I have to try this. I have to try I have to try this. I know it's funny, but it's true. It's what matters. It's what matters. It's whether you're, whether you're, whether you're, are you a king in that sense? I know some of us, the praise of the world is getting into our heads. Oh, go on, black king, go on, red queen, go on, yellow king. They're, it's getting into your head. I'm, I understand it. But are you a king where it matters? Are you a king where it counts? Are you a king in Jesus? And then you're a priest. Let me speak a bit. But you're a priest. So, so what kind of kings are we? We're, 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 we're priestly kings. Function in the, in, the, in the act of being a priest. And you know, in the, in the Old Testament, because this is what this is, and we don't have time to even just think about this, but these truths are grounded on, on uh, the Old Testament, right? And in the Old Testament, the priest, someone place, uh, phrase it like this, the prophet was someone who told men about God. Well, prophets as well, by the way. But so we tell people about God. The priest was someone who brought men to God, right? Priest was chosen to, to bring men. He, he appeared on the behalf of God. The prophet appears on behalf of God and tells men about God. The priest appears on the behalf of God. He's God's agent to bring men and women to God. That's who we are, we're priests. We, we function in, we're chosen to represent God uh, by 
representing men by bringing men to him, by telling men this is the way to God. We are priests. I have to say again, this is primarily in that corporate sense as well. This is a gathering of priests. What we're doing here is priestly stuff. A few things that priests were known to do in the Old Testament to, to help us um, unfold this picture. Priests both facilitated and practiced worship. The whole of the Israelite setup of temple worship was built on the back of priests. You know, the priests had to manage the holy days, the holy utensils, the holy laws. They had to manage all of it and make sure that the people could have a, worship, a, 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 a sacred worship experience. Priests are in the business of worship. When the Bible calls us priests, it's telling us we, we have, one of our, our business here is to worship. Business in this world is to worship. Right? We have the business to worship. And, and we, we're not to make artificial dichotomies there. Then. Some people say, oh, um, I've heard people say, you know, I don't have time to go for, for, for Bible study when um, there's souls dying. There's souls out there dying. You're not made for the souls that are dying. You're made for his glory. You're made to honor him. Now, you, you're to do the work of seeking souls that are dying as an act of worship. Absolutely. But you're also to sing his praises with the saints as an act of worship. You're also to sit under the instruction of the word as an act of worship. And, and beautifully, you know, terminology like this once made some Christians wise enough to resist um, the abuses of certain other, of church leaders. So very often, the, 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 the theology was referred to as the priesthood of all believers. The Bible says that God has made us priests, all of us, not some. So it's a weird thing, I think, for a minister to call himself a priest. I think it's strange. Because it, it might imply that if you're the only one being called priest in a, in a congregation, first of all, I don't think there's any New, York, New Testament example of that. What are you saying to the rest of the people? I'm the one that brings you to God? God forbid. It's why I'm also biased to, uh, I have a bias for, you know, the kind of informal wear that you see in churches today. Non-conformity is what they would call it. I'm not making excuses for myself. But, but, you know, if I come to a church and a man's got some big gallant robe and all kind of colors and he's got, you know, on his, 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 I'm seeing the hem of his garment. I'm going to be like, oh. It's very hard for me to see myself as not, at, at, he's in a different sphere to me. Now, Roman Catholicism had this in, has this in major ways, right? In, in, in how priests are told that they can forgive and so on and so on and so forgive sins and so on and so forth. And, and we want to reject that. But we can have a problem with that in our circles as well. Where we start to act as though there's only some people who have a special access to God. Right? We start to depend on some people to understand the truth. Here's someone telling you this is true, and you don't seek it out for yourself. You don't think for yourself. You start to wait. I've, I've seen it in evangelical circles. We wait on other people to pray for us. I've seen folks gather in the door, gather in the in in line to meet someone so can pray for them. Christians. Unbelievers, I could understand. But you're a Christian, you're a priest. Now, absolutely, we should pray for each other. I'm not, I'm not denying that. And absolutely, there's a sense in which you expect your elders and your pastors and your leaders to, to, to pray with you. There's no doubt. But all these Christians gathering in a line to meet up, none of you can. You're priests. You have access to God yourself. So we're made to worship or to treat the whole of life as sacred, to offer our bodies, our lives. We're made for worship, and we have to take worship seriously. We're made for holiness. The priests... In the Old Testament, had holiness unto God inscribed on his head. We're, made, we're set apart. That's one thing that it means that we're priests now. We, we had, in the Old Testament, the, the priest was the holiest of holy. 
God gave all these limited, you know, their clothes had to be a certain way. They had to wear certain things. They couldn't, you know, in the Old Testament, the priest, he couldn't go to a funeral because he couldn't be contaminated with, with, the, with the body, with, with, uh, with, with a dead body. Because God was trying to make it so clear, so crystal clear that he was meant to be holy. And God is holy. Well, that's who we are. We're holy. We're set apart in every area of our lives. We're meant to be set apart to God. There's no area where you, where you can say, holiness doesn't matter there. There's no area where you can say, I'm going to just play with a little sin there. We're meant to be holy, set apart unto God. And the church, the church must be defined as holy. The church is not characterized by its wealth or its social class. It's not even characterized by the temperature. You know, sometimes in church life, things are rosy. Everything is good. But the question is, are you holy? Sometimes things are tense and there's trouble. The question is, are you holy? Set apart unto God. That's the, that's the thing you must pursue, a priest. And then, and then the other thing as priests, we mediate. That is, we, we proclaim to people, this is how you come to God. This is how your sins can be forgiven. This is how you can be one with God. We proclaim the cross of Jesus. It's always on our lips. We proclaim the cross of Jesus. We tell people, the blood of Jesus can wash away your sin. Brothers and sisters, what are we counseling each other? You know, very often, Christians, you'll encourage someone else. You're encouraging someone else about a dilemma or an issue they're going on in his life. And you say everything to them apart from commending them to the grace of God. Apart, of, apart from saying to them, let the blood of Jesus Christ wash away your conscience. I, I, I understand the place of therapy. I understand the place. I don't want to, in any sense, undermine those things. But there's nothing that cleanses like the blood. Therapy can only do so much and can only reach so far. But nothing can wash away your sin like the blood of Jesus. We are priests and not therapists. We are priests. We can't just proclaim the solution the world has. We're priests and not educators. We can't just, we can't just proclaim the solution the world has. We're priests and not just politicians or social right activists. I'm firstly, I'm a priest. And, and, and we have to proclaim the blood. We have to proclaim that there's only one way to come to God. And it's through Jesus. And he saves and he sets men free. And he died to wash them from their sin. We have to tell men and women, you're dead in your sin. When all is said and done, nothing is a bigger issue than how far you and I are from God. When all is said and done, we must all stand before God on the day of judgment. And we must tell people, this world is broken and it's falling apart and 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 and. I, no one knows what tomorrow holds and, and grief may come your way at any time and death can come. There's only one way to be right with God. The blood of Jesus and it sets free and this must be our delight with priests. But let me close by saying this. You read the book of Revelation. I keep saying this. I said this was a direction to the churches. The other thing I'll say is this. What is clear to me is that having called his people kings and priests, the Lord Jesus Christ also 
calls them to take responsibility with this privilege. They are privileged to be his kings and priests, but it also comes with responsibility. That's the, I, I, I believe that's God's word to us in this series, is just, you realize that by me calling you these things, I'm sitting over you to, I'm testing you, I'm judging you, I'm watching you to make sure that you fulfill your responsibility. God's not going to have a useless congregation. He's not going to have you be Christians just by name. We have a duty. We have a duty to function as kings and priests. It's our duty. It's our calling. It's a weighty responsibility that you have as part of the church to we have a, as part of the church to make sure that worship is pure. We can't take that for granted. To make sure that compromise doesn't enter into our worship. To make sure that we're a holy church. I was, I was, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. The weightiness of being a church leader. I, I think in the book of Revelations, right after this, John speaks to church leaders. Jesus Christ through, through John is saying, church leaders, you have such a big responsibility because... My, my, my house must remain holy. And, you know, a church leader can't do things according to how they feel. I might not want to say those words to you. Or I might wish that you could, that we, we didn't have to rebuke you or deal with you or discipline you or whatever. But this is the house of God. And we must be holy. I might not want to confront you. It's not, just not might be my nature. But then get out. Don't be a church leader then. Leave here. This is God's kingdom. And we have responsibility not to do things according to how you feel, what you like. There's an awesomeness that characterizes this place. If we lose it, we're in trouble. You see? If we don't feel it, if we don't sense it, if we don't believe it, we're in trouble. If your appropriation of it is dependent on how much energy with which I can tell you this is an awesome place, we're in trouble. You have to know this for yourself. We have to be kings and priests. But it is a great privilege. As I said, when the Bible calls us kings, Jesus Christ is also telling you, I've placed you in the highest position. If you have Christ, you have all the joys you need. If you have Christ, you have all the hope you need. You're in the place where you need to be. I've made you a king. Don't let the world lure you away. Don't let the world deceive you. I know sometimes you have to endure trying times and hard situations. But I'm telling you, you have all when you have Jesus Christ. I know sometimes it might not feel that way. But I'm telling you, I've called you a king. I know sometimes you might not feel worthy, but I tell you, I've called you a priest. This is who you are to me. I've made you kings and priests. And so press on the, 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 urgent, the, the urgent exhortation of the book of Revelation is keep pressing on. Don't trade your kingship for anything. Don't trade your priesthood for anything. Keep pressing on. When we finally get to glory, Jesus Christ will reward us with our crown of righteousness. And then what will we do as those hymns all try and tell us? We will, we will remember that Jesus was the king of kings. And then we have not been worthy of one part of this crown. And we will cast all our 
before me, Father, adoring at his feet, saying, Jesus Christ, you are the only one worthy of praise. Jesus, the great high priest. Jesus is the king. Amen.